Welcome to Trip Talk. I'm Jennifer Napier Pierce with the Salt Lake Tribune. A third of Utah's women legislators have announced they won't run again for office, and a sizable number of state lawmakers are running unopposed. Plus, Utah's Democrat in chief is stepping aside, but he wants to stay on in the Senate today. On Trip Talk, we're talking local politics and how some of the upcoming changes will affect you, policy, and government here in the state of Utah. Joining me on the Google Hangout is Kelly Patterson. He's a professor of political science at BYU, and he's joining us from his office in Provo. And Professor Patterson, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Also with us, Damon Can. He's an associate professor of political science at Utah State University, joining us from his office in Logan. Damon, welcome to you. Thanks for having me. Lindsay Zizumbo is the state and national program manager at the Hinckley Institute of Politics at the University of Utah. She's here in the newsroom with us. Lindsay, great to have you. Thank you so much for your time. Happy to be here. And also in the newsroom, Salt Lake Tribune government and politics editor, editor Dan Harry. Dan, welcome back. Thanks. And you can join us as well. What do you think about the exodus of women in Utah's legislature? What effect is that going to have? What do you think that uh, the DeBacchus departure will affect Democrats and progressive causes in the state? If you want to join our political discussion today, send your thoughts to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google+. You can put them in the comment section right here at sltrib.com, or you can send us a text, and that number is 801 609 8059. Uh, let's start with DeBacchus. Jim DeBacchus, uh, state senator, announced yesterday he's stepping aside as Democratic Party chair to deal with some uh, health issues, but uh, he does want to seek re-election this fall. Um, I, I think that everyone can agree he's been very effective as a spokesman and a fundraiser, but how effective has he been in, in getting Democrats elected? Kelly Patterson? Um. He's been visible, and I think that's important. I think he's also been effective at uh, helping to raise money. Uh, I don't see the party in a much different shape than one it, when it was when he uh, first uh, took over the position. I think the, the real proof is in the pudding. Uh, do you have any more uh, statewide elected officials? Do you have a stronger position in the Senate or in the uh, State House? And um, I don't think they're doing a whole lot better there. They they, they need a, a stronger bench. They need a stronger uh, group of uh, individuals who can uh, be their candidates for these uh, uh, other offices. The the once again the true test of the strength of a political party is whether or not you're able to uh, win elective office, and uh, that's a, a hurdle that the Democratic Party in the state of Utah still ha hasn't really uh, been able to clear. Mm. Damon Can, what kind of grade would you give Mr. DeBacchus? Well, that's a great question. Uh, a, in a one-party state like Utah, the job of the uh, of the state party chair for the minority uh, party for the Democrats here is to throw bombs at the majority party, and nobody throws a good bomb like Jim DeBacchus. So I would give him an A minus. Certainly, I, I think Kelly's spot on. That at the end of the day, the metric is is the party winning more seats, and under under his leadership, we didn't see that. But boy, did he raise the visibility and make sure that people knew that the Democrats are here and that they're active in politics in the state of Utah. He was elected to, to lead the party 
in 2011. He says he wants his legacy to be that uh, that of the Big Ten. The Democrats were open. What was the the Democratic Party is an option for uh, Mormons in the state of Utah. Do you see that as a stamp on his party, Lindsay? Yeah, absolutely. Um, DeBaca started the LDS caucus, which I think was a, a really uh, groundbreaking movement for the Democratic Party. Um, he's been out there publicly and uh, loudly about uh, bringing more Democrats in. That you don't have to be, you know, a um, you don't have to be a Republican to be Mormon or a Mormon to be a Republican. You can be a Democratic Mormon, and I think he's made that issue very visible. Um, as Damon said, Debacus has an uphill battle, and uh, redistricting has been a big issue for Democrats. And in one party state, um, I would give him an A. I think he's done a great job. Mm -hmm. uh, Dan Harry, your thoughts? <clears throat> it's a tough job. It's a thankless job, I would say, being a chairman of the Democratic Party in Utah. And um, I think this effort that he's made, the outreach to the Mormon community, um, is a good one, but I think that's something that probably takes a generation or more to bear fruit. So I, I think uh, he, he's he's done about as good as anyone can do in that job. He's been very outspoken on gay rights as well because of course it's personal. Um, he, he married his longtime partner during that window of time when gay marriage was legal in Utah. He's, he's lobbed verbal bombs, he's had held rallies at the Capitol, been very outspoken. Has that helped or hurt uh, the gay rights movement here in Utah? Uh, Professor Patterson. Um, I I think it, overall it's probably helped uh, that the, the, the movement here in the state of Utah. I think, like Professor Kahn has said, uh, it's kept the, the, the movement visible in the headlines, uh, made it a topic of conversation, uh, helped uh, uh, shift public opinion. I, I think uh, there's been clear movements in public opinion, if, if not at least towards gay marriage, at least toward the idea of civil unions and toward the idea of uh, anti-discrimination laws. Uh, all of that, I think, has been pretty important. I, I think going back to this other issue about uh, outreach to the uh, LDS community and Democrats, I think he's made a game effort of it, but I, I, I completely agree with uh, Dan on this. I, I, it's going to take at least a generation. Uh, there are some fundamental differences between uh, the LDS community and the Democratic Party on, on issues that aren't just uh, policy-related. Uh, Poll after poll shows that uh, it, there, there are differences between Democrats and, and, and your uh, average uh, member of the LDS faith, and um, it's, it's, it's on issues of, of kind of ways in which you, you view the world, and you just don't paper over those and gloss over those, and uh, makes it really hard to... Uh, bring them all into the same tent and get them to uh, agree on candidates. What about uh, women and minorities? I know in uh, the 2012 election that was a, a big uh, a big push by the National Democratic Party was to, to bring women and minorities into uh, the fold. Did that happen here in Utah, do you think, Dan Harry? I think at the candidate level it did. I think you're starting to see uh, more women running for more races, but in terms of holding office, that's not true. Uh, we just had a story Sunday uh, by Amy McDonald 
uh, that I edited, and we showed in that story that uh, there are five women retiring from the legislature. Uh, right now there are 17 women, so that's going to bring their numbers down by a third, and in at least two of those uh, instances, and maybe three, they're likely to be replaced by male candidates. So the odds, I mean, we don't know how the elections are going to turn out, but the odds are that the number of women in the legislature will shrink after November's election. And we're already, um, I just looked up these numbers, we're the sixth worst in the nation in terms of percentage of women serving. Lindsay, uh, you, uh, Lindsay works with uh, Real Women Run, which is sort of a, a recruitment boot camp style tutorial for women who are interested in, in seeking public office. These, these numbers must be uh, disappointing for you. Yeah, <clears throat> the numbers are not great. We're unfortunately below the national average. Um, we have a, a rich history in our state of women being in office. We have obviously Speaker Becky Lockhart. We've had a female governor. Um, we elected the first woman state senator, Martha Hughes Cannon. So Utah has a rich history. Unfortunately, we've fallen below that trend mark at this point. Um, we have five legislators up in those races. There are women who have filed to run, but um, uh, I agree that it will most likely be replaced by a man. So we're losing um, a good percentage of women in addition. Right now in this state and across the country, Democrats fare better at putting up female candidates. And right now, uh, the Democrats are losing a quarter of their caucus. So it, it, we are definitely um, on a downward trend, which is really unsettling considering we're already below average. Speaking with Lindsay Zizumbo with the Hinckley Institute of Politics, also Kelly Patterson, BYU political scientist, as well as Damon Can. He's a, an associate professor of political science at Utah State University and our very own political and government editor, Dan Harry. We're talking local politics, and if you'd like uh, to join our conversation today, you can send your thoughts to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google+. You can put your thoughts uh, in the comments section at sltrib.com, or you can text us, and that number is 801-609-8059. Damon Can, what difference does it make having women in office uh, and, and serving in these sort of high-profile policymaking capacities? There's, a, there's kind of two dimensions on which to look at this. One is the substantive output of the policies, uh, and uh, women behave differently in office, more likely to, to forge compromises, work together, they tend to be very easy to get along with, uh, and, and so there's some substantive differences in the sorts of policy outputs that we have when we have more uh, women uh, as policymakers. Uh, and then there's the other side of the coin, and that's the descriptive representation. And that is, even if you have uh, a legislature of all men that are voting and representing, uh, voting on policy substance uh, that's identical to the way women might have voted on those same issues, it just makes women in the electorate feel better and feel more represented, uh, more likely they have a voice in the government just because there's someone like them in the legislature. And so even on that level, it can make a big difference in the way people view the government and the legitimacy of their elected officials. And I have to say, two of the five women who are departing in the uh, next year uh, have very high-profile leadership positions. One is House Speaker Becky Lockhart, and the other is House Minority Leader Jennifer Selig. And uh, Kelly Patterson, that must make a difference, too, not having women in those key roles. 
it does make a difference. Uh, those those are those are highly visible positions. Those are positions where individuals can set the agenda. Uh, they can funnel money into races uh, with. Uh, toward, toward uh, candidates of, of like-minded uh, individuals, so they, they, they do matter, and uh, all the research shows that uh, the, those kinds of races uh, are, 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 are those, those types of offices are tough ones to lose. Lindsay, so if, if not many women are running this fall, I mean, what is it going to take to get more women politically involved? That's a great question. I will note that we have 93 women out of the 356 races have filed for office. That doesn't include the county county seats that are up. So I think that's 26% of the candidate filings are women. So I think that it's important to note that we do have a strong pool of women running for office. So I think we may pick up seats elsewhere, um, you know, just regardless of the ones we're losing. But it's important that um, women tend to... Um, tend to need a bigger urge that, than their male counterparts to run for office. They're less likely to want to endure the political rigors of a campaign, and so I think it's important to continue training and networking and recruiting female candidates, and as we continue to do that, I think we'll see a shift in how many women are actually elected, not just filing. Hmm. Uh, let's move on to uh, incumbents. Uh, we're, we're facing an election this fall, uh, barring more than one unusual or effective writing campaign. Eight of 89 races this fall have already been decided because the candidates are running unopposed. Uh, this is um, a story that we ran this morning. Dan, Harry, tell us more. Well, and actually the numbers are worse than that because there are also two races where uh, only Republican incumbents are challenged only by third-party candidates and really uh, the, the odds of them winning are very very small and in other races um, that are strong Republican uh, strongholds Democrats have a very uphill battle to win so you're really looking probably more like uh, probably close to uh, between a third and a half of those races are not very competitive races for the Utah legislature. And, you know, speaking of that story this morning, if you look, and I wish I would brought a copy of it, but if you hold that up and show the pictures on the front, you know, all white, all male, that is the kind of image that the Utah legislature has, uh, which I don't think is a very good image to have. Hmm. Uh, Damon Can, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> why aren't people running, or why are there so many who are running unopposed? Well, there, there's uh, um, two things here. One is actually in context, rel context relative to other states, uh, the rates that we have in Utah of uncontested seats are relatively low, uh, especially when you compare to other states that are dominated by one political party or the other, just as I prepped. Uh, in 2012, Massachusetts had 31.5% of their state legislative seats that were contested. Uh, and based on the numbers uh, Dan uh, printed in his story earlier today, we're sitting more in the neighborhood of 80 to 85% of our seats being uncontested. If you so look it's not at, as drastic as you think, huh? No, it, it's, you know, we would love to see every seat contested so that every voter in the state of Utah, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, 
you want to make sure that every seat's uncontested. And we have uh, at least one seat in Utah this year that's uncontested by the Republican Party, just as we have several that are uh, uncontested by the Democratic Party. Uh, if, if you look around the country, in the 2012 rates of uncontested seats in Utah, we were actually the 10th uh, ranked 10th out of the 50 states in having the highest rate of contestation. Uh, and so for a, a one-party state like Utah, that's actually pretty impressive uh, and speaks well of the, the level of activity of the political parties. And while we wish we had uh, had every seat where every voter would have a choice between two major party candidates, um, you know, we're, we're not doing as bad as the numbers might make it sound when you take it in context. I, I will so say, though, Damon, that that uh, is not the whole story. Uh, you can file as many uh, Democratic candidates as you want in Utah County that doesn't mean those are competitive races. They're contested, yes, but they're not competitive. And you see that in many areas of the state. In fact, we don't have any Republicans elected outside of Salt Lake County in the legislature. That's a big problem, I think, with that, uh, that disparity in the geopolitics of the state. Hmm. And, and I suppose that that means uh, we're, we're looking at the power of incumbency. We're also looking at the domination of the GOP here in Utah, right, Kelly Patterson? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 I mean, there's no there's no question it's a one-party state, but, but Damon is making a very important point and a very critical point, and that is if you don't have candidates who have filed to run, then you absolutely have no chance of ever winning a seat. So if there's going to be a scandal, if there's going to be some kind of uh, issue that makes it possible for you to, uh, for the minority party to win a seat, if you don't have a candidate contesting for that seat, then you can't win that seat. So, right, there's very little probability, very low probability that a, a person is going to win a, a seat if you're a Democrat in Utah County. But if you don't have a person recruited for the Democratic seat in Utah County, then the odds are zero that you're going to win a seat in Utah County. Now, the probability is, once again, low that you're going to win that seat, but it's not zero. And, and Lindsay, that's a line that Real Women Run uses quite a bit. If, if there aren't women candidates, women aren't going to win. Exactly. My favorite quote is from the Tribune that said, women win at the same rate as men. It's just simply that fewer women are running. So that is exactly, you know, where we stand as far as getting women elected is you've got to jump in. If you don't jump in, like uh, Kelly said, you're just not going to win. You're not even going to have a chance. Just from our comments section at sltrib.com, Lucky Jonas writes, women bring a perspective to the Hill that is lacking, naming, uh, namely compassion and tolerance. I'm especially disappointed to see Jennifer Seelig leaving. Again, if you want to join our conversation, we're talking Utah politics here with our political editor, uh, Dan Harry, also with us, Lindsay Zizumbo, who is with the Hinckley Institute of Politics, Kelly Patterson with BYU's political science department, and Damon Can with Utah State's uh, uh, political science department. And you can join us to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google+. You can text us, 801-609-8059, or you can put your comments right here at sltrib.com. Um, let's talk about um, the interests in the school board. This was another story that appeared in our uh, our paper today. Um, interestingly, there's a lot of interest in the state school board. 18 candidates 
have filed to run for one seat that's being vacated by the longtime uh, school board member Kim Birmingham. What is getting people motivated to run, Dan Harry? Well, you know, if you look at the legislature and the number of bills introduced on education, you can see that's the number one policy issue that people in this state have uh, ideas about, they have disagreements over. Uh, there is nothing more controversial than education. And so I think that's why you see this massive outpouring. Uh, and um, there are officially nonpartisan races, which is another thing that maybe helps that uh, crowd of people. Um, so I think that's what's going on there. Mm -hmm. Lindsay, 18 people though is quite a few for uh, one single seat. Uh, are we going to see some nastiness going on there? Um, I think because uh, you it goes by appointment, um, it will it, it it just has a different type of election process. So. I don't necessarily think it'll get to the nasty level. Local politics in Utah typically stay clean, um, but I agree that education is a number one issue for Utah voters. Um, we see we the let if the legislature isn't if Utah voters think legislature isn't hitting on it right, they'll jump into these school board races. Um, it's also where we're getting a lot of our female candidates. Um, I think they feel more comfortable jumping into a local race. They've maybe, you know, had done carpool, they've sat on PTA board, so it's a place where um, they can, you know, they can see themselves making change. Um, but I, I don't personally think it'll, you'll see much nastiness there. Mm. Uh, Kelly Patterson, there seems to be a, a, um, a litmus test uh, when it comes to, to education, at least at the state school board level, and that is about the, um, uh, what is that called, the school reform movement? I'm Common Core. Common Core, thank you very much. I mean, uh, what do you foresee as uh, the issues that are going to come out this summer and into the fall as uh, these school board positions are debated? Well, I, I think every, everybody's hit on what the topic is. I mean, education is, is pervasive. It's the one thing that touches or seems to touch everybody's lives in this in this state and and how you teach the children and uh, what's taught to the children and who's dictating what is taught to the children I mean those those go to fundamental issues about uh, what you think uh, uh, education should be and whether or not uh, the federal government should be dictating those standards whether or not the local community should be dictating those standards and what kind of control the state should be uh, have over those standards and whether or not it's uh, some process that uh, uh, should be uh, kind of controlled by people you don't elect and uh, people who have your values or don't have your values I mean this is this is a this is a this is an issue that's as, as old as uh, the Republic and about as grassroots as you can get for a, a single seat that's being vacated on the Salt Lake City School Board. Five people are vying for that. And of course, that comes after the school lunch fiasco. People, yeah. <laughs> the children whose lunch accounts were delinquent and they didn't get school lunch, and it caused quite a furor. And Damon can, I suppose, uh, it's really those, those issues that touch uh, everyone that promote outrage and activism involvement. Yeah, you know, local issues are personal, and uh, that's why most people who are running for the first time are running for a local office. Uh, they recognize uh, the, the power of government, uh, not just in Washington, D.C., but what the government is doing 
uh, up close and personal in their city, in their school district, in their county, and that motivates them to get in and get involved because at that level they have the sense that they can get in and do something. And I think uh, um, you know issues like uh, you know someone's child not getting school lunch uh, are the very kinds of things that often propel folks into uh, getting involved or, or you know it's, when someone gets upset about the common core standards uh, running for Congress seems like uh, a long shot to as, as a measure of recourse against a standard that they don't see as being appropriate but running for your local school board to be able to do something about what kind of education is provided to your children and to children in your neighborhood in your city that's something that people recognize that they can get involved in and 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 have a chance of making a difference Mm. I want to turn to uh, a story that appeared in Utah Policy today, uh, a possible lawsuit over Count My Vote. That, of course, was the citizen initiative to um, bring direct primaries to our system of electing candidates. Utah Policy reporting that the GOP may sue the state over uh, Senate Bill 54, which was sort of this grand compromise that would get rid of the initiative process and implement um, political parties holding open primaries. Lindsay, I know you were involved in the Count My Vote issue. Uh, how important was the open primary uh, in, in working out a compromise and why? Well, I think it was very important. It's interesting that, you know, the Count My Vote initiative didn't open up primaries and, and this, this gets a little bit confusing, a little bit weedy here, but the bill doesn't open it up either. It's a semi-close, so it just allows unaffiliated voters to participate in the primaries. Um, that is a little bit different than, a, than an open primary, so there's not cross-affiliation. Um, so it's interesting, court cases have, have run on this issue in Idaho, Idaho and Hawaii, and they both come out on different sides. Um, so this, this legal battle is, um, is very interesting, and where it would fall, I, I think it's very important to note that there's also a severability clause in this bill that states the count my vote language would stay if a lawsuit is filed. Hmm. Uh, again, uh, SB 54, which was billed as this compromise by Senator Kurt Bramble, um, is the GOP bluffing? Do you think they really would sue Dan Harry? Um, I, I think there's a good chance there's uh, a measure of bluffing in this, yes. Um, Why? And, well, James Evans has been talking about this uh, possibility of a lawsuit for weeks now. This isn't really new. Um, and he's saying that they're putting it off, putting any decision off until after the convention. If you look at the Count My Vote uh, fundraising and some of the big donors to that movement, uh, many of them are big Republican donors. Does the party really want to be in the position of suing some of the uh, pet causes of their big donors? Uh, I am kind of skeptical about that. So, uh, Kelly Patterson, what do you think? Is, uh, is, is the compromise going to be able to stand? Uh, boy, that's a tough one. Uh, the, there sure is a, 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 a a part of the Republican Party that really, for whatever reason, has uh, come down on the side of opposition to the, the, the count my vote. Um, I, I, I'm a, I've been 
curious to see the the reaction to the whole count my vote um, initiative. Uh, the the scholarship on on political parties has always seen parties as kind of quasi uh, public entities, uh, almost as as public utilities. Uh, they're they're not they're not wholly private. They're not uh, wholly public. They're they're once again kind of quasi public entities. Or not and. Uh, and this uh, whole count my vote initiative seems to kind of recognize them as as something similar to that. So uh, they seem to kind of be litigating now and fighting over kind of where that uh, line is drawn. Damon Can, what what do you think? Is uh, is this issue done yet? <laughs> Have we figured out how we're going to choose our candidates, or is there going to be some litigation involved? Well, there's going to be some ongoing discussion about the candidate nominating process in Utah for some time. Uh, a few pieces of, of uh, that left unresolved are, for example, what to do in a primary with multiple candidates where no candidate wins 50% of the vote. You could have four candidates uh, in a primary election uh, if several people go uh, the count my vote route and collect the necessary signatures. You could have someone winning a primary but only having 30% of, of the, uh, the vote in that primary election. And so the state's going to need to go back and take a look at that. Uh, I uh, personally, I'm, I'm uh, cautiously optimistic that uh, that the party honor uh, the Republican Party honors the compromise that its legislators made uh, with uh, the count my vote organizers. Uh, because had they, if if they thwart, uh, if, if they use this just as kind of a way around uh, to have stopped count my vote for this go round, uh, it's just a matter of bringing the initiative up again a couple of years down the road and, and pursuing another option that could be worse. Uh, California went to a top two primary, uh, which this, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld, and that essentially eliminates parties altogether from the nominating process, and people just vote for a list of candidates, and whoever, whichever two candidates get the most votes, votes on that list of candidates in a primary advance to the general election. Uh, and that essentially wipes parties out of the nominating process altogether. Uh, so it could definitely get worse uh, for the Republican Party than the compromise that's been struck uh, with SB 54. Very quickly, Lindsay, because you're the insider, is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that is a fair assessment. I think the important thing to note as well is that 70% of Utahns support reform to the caucus convention system um, and over 65% support a direct primary. So um, I think it's important to note that there was a great compromise struck. Um, it, it, it's a win-win for both parties and that 70% of Utahns are behind this. Okay, uh, we've only got a, a couple minutes left. Uh, just real quick, lightning round, what races are you going to be watching this fall? Uh, Damon Can. Oh, goodness, why did I have to go first? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, the most interesting race in the state of Utah, I think, is going to be the Attorney General's race, uh, to see how Sean Ray's short performance uh, holds up and whether or not uh, the Republican Party is held to pay for any of the sins of John Swallow in the upcoming election. Okay, uh, Kelly Patterson. I'm going to look to see uh, how I, I'm, I'm going to go to a federal race. I, I want to see how uh, Mia Love does in in the fourth congressional district. I, I, I want to see whether or not uh, um, she 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 learned from uh, um, any, you know the experience she had in her her her, her last go around. Okay, Lindsay. 
Um, I'm going to have to watch uh, the state Senate 4 race, Pat Jones' seat. Um, it's highly contested. There are four people in the seat, um, but I'm coming down to watch Janie Iwamoto and Ross Romero. Okay, and Dan Harry. Uh, you know, I'm going to look forward because I don't see that many interesting races this year. Uh, I was kind of disappointed when Count My Vote wasn't going to be on the ballot because <laughs> that was going to be like the only excitement in the election. So I'm going to skip forward and look to 2016 and the race of perhaps Mike Lee and maybe Jim Matheson. Um, so that could be very interesting. You're cheating, Dan. All right. Uh, Dan Harry, Kelly Patterson, Damon Can, and Lindsay Zazumbo, thank you all very much for your time. I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank, thank you. Thank and you. lots more political coverage right here at sltrib.com. I'm Jennifer Napier Pierce with the Salt Lake Tribune. Thanks for joining us for Trip Talk today. We'll see you next time.